This week in Arsenal, the Gunners defeat Manchester City in a massive statement win. Gabriel Martinelli returns in style. Bukayo Saka's record-breaking appearance streak comes to an end. And Arsenal are tied for first in the Premier League with Spurs entering the international break. Let's get into it. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. So, uh, welcome in to episode 31 of This Week in Arsenal. As always, I'm Sham. You can follow me at Shamsdale. With me is Sash. You can follow him at LT Arsenal. You can follow the pod on Twitter or X, depending on what you want to call it, at This Week Arsenal. We've uh, done some branding over the last couple, or rebranding, shall I say, over the last couple days. Uh, so, you know, feel free to check that out on all our platforms. You can follow us on YouTube. And subscribe, hit the bell for the notifications. That's at This Week in Arsenal on YouTube, uh, on TikTok, this.week.arsenal, uh, Instagram, This Week in Arsenal, all the handles there. And, um, you know, thank you so much for being here with us uh, today to talk about just a, 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 a massive result that we've been waiting years and years and years to, to finally witness. And uh, it felt so good. So we're going to relive that today. And uh, with us, to do that is an illustrious guest uh, who I think this is now his third perform or third appearance on the pod. Uh, we always love having him back on here. The these are these are Sasha's words. I do not know <laughs> how to pronounce these well. The Gujubai and the self-proclaimed Dokla Muncher, Rohan Javan. <laughs> Listen, I, you told me to say it, so I'll say it. <laughs> Rohan, well. That's well, just welcome, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, welcome on the pod, man. Good to have you on. Oh, it's great to be back. Always love coming on. Two of my favorite, my favorite content creators and just awesome people. Awesome people. And um, nah, it's, it's great to just discuss, not just with you, but also the fact that we're going to be discussing an incredible result and a result that it's been coming. It's been coming for a while. Um, and I'm still just buzzing because I think this win could be one of the ones in which changes the momentum of the season for us. So. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And um, for for those of you who have not been paying attention the last several days, I don't know why you wouldn't be, but we defeated Manchester City 1-0 at the Emirates. Uh, again, massive statement win. And, uh, you know, Sash, before we move forward, uh, I want to get your thoughts generally on, you know, how, how you're feeling about it. Yeah, feeling absolutely gassed because honestly, we could not have gone into the international break without a win. If we had drawn, the conversations this week would be about the officiating. If we had lost, then people would start questioning everything that we did in the summer. Was the strategy good? And we're going to have two weeks of that. You know, Arsenal fans during international breaks, they're, you know how they are. You see the same tweets every international break about discourse on former Arsenal players uh, and things like... I saw this generic tweet which comes every international break, which is, 
I always thought Arsene Wenger was named after Arsenal. You start seeing content <laughs> like this. It's an absolute hell of a two weeks. And honestly, this win with Peter Drury's beautiful voice and commentary makes it really good next couple of weeks. So we can sit back and relax and just and just really bask in the glory of that performance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I um I'm beginning to hate well, I mean not beginning. I'm I'm well into hating the international breaks at this point, not just because there's there's really no football worth watching for most of the time, but also I think if you leave most fan bases alone for a couple of days, they start doing the most ridiculous things and just saying wild stuff to you know, to get the attention and like make everyone start talking about it. Yeah, I there's like two or three accounts that just will tweet, you know, I I thought Arsenal was named after Arsene Wenger every international break, like you said, Sash. And uh, I feel like we're re-debating how good like Henri and Burkamp was or were every single international break. It's just, it's, it, yeah, it's the worst. I, I wish I could stay off Twitter more than I do during the international break, but um We'll 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 get right into talking about the game and just you know letting all that fade away, and so the starting lineup for this match, I I personally you know I I was driving to um I was driving back from a wedding when the when the lineup was announced and I had my fiance read out the starting eleven to me since I couldn't look at my phone, and I just remember hearing the lineup and getting more and more concerned also she skipped gabrielle in the starting lineup so i actually was throwing a fit for a second but i i was informed gabrielle was in the lineup so the there was one player in there that i was a little bit iffy on right and i you know rohan i i think you've had some critiques about him in the past and that's Jorginho, right? Jorginho was included on paper. It looked like the lone six. I think things played out a little bit differently over the course of the 90 minutes. But what did you initially make of Jorginho's inclusion in the starting 11 for you know Manchester City? Sasha's loving this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm very happy you asked him straight away. <laughs> On the one player who he has a huge agenda on, so I have a huge agenda, just a little one, <laughs> um, <laughs> just a little one. But I, I was worried. I was actually worried when I saw our starting eleven um, and seeing Jorginho as well in the team. Um, I was very, very, very nervous going into <clears> it. Um, but that wasn't the only um, selection that I was quite confused with. I, I personally would have started. Reese Nelson as well in this game, um, if you're talking about who would be more suited to playing on the left-hand side. Um, someone who can stretch us more relative to a Trossard, I'd say Reese Nelson can do that more. And also, I think in this type of game against Manchester City, and we'll obviously probably talk about it in the second half after he made the changes, I think Kai Havertz, this was tailor-made for him to start a centre-forward in this game. But going back to Jorginho, I think we'll probably talk about his performance. It was, again, it was a, it was a surprise, but at the same time, I think the way that we did set up and the game plan, I think it kind of played into Jorginho's hands in certain ways. But at the same time, I know Sasha's going to say this is where the agenda comes in. But at the same time, I thought it was his best performance for Arsenal off the ball so far. I thought it was outstanding um, in terms of that mid-block. Because we'll probably talk about it more. This game was effectively two teams who, it was a chess match. It was a cat and mouse. And I think... You look at the way Manchester City pressed, and again, we'll probably talk about it, and look at the way Arsenal pressed. It's very similar principles that they used in this game. But both teams showed a lot of respect. And the way that Manchester City were overloading us in the middle of the park, 
it meant that Jorginho and Rice had to be so astute in terms of their reading, in terms of their positioning, when to cut off lanes to Haaland, to Alvarez, to Foden, because they came really narrow. And it was Guardiola and Walker were holding the whip. They were the whip holders. And Jorginho and Rice were outstanding, and Jorginho in particular, because I think he gets a lot of criticism from me for his off-the-ball deficiencies. I think when the game opens up and there's large distances and large spaces, as you saw in the second half against Spurs when he came on, I think he struggles because when he tries to nip in, because he has this tendency of he wants to get close and he wants to make that inception quickly. And that's really good against in this Man City game because we were in this block, so the distances were really tight between players. But against Spurs, when he tried to nip in and he wasn't able to get there, he's out of the game because he can't recover. So I think in that aspect, I think the game was really well tailored to him due to the game plan. And maybe that's why Mikel Arteta started Jorginho as well, because he recognised this is the way that we're going to play. This is, It was that Jorginho wouldn't be tasked to covering large distances. We were going to show a lot of respect to Man City in that block. And statistically, City, I think, after 80-odd minutes, they had 15 touches in the box. You know, that's a testament to Jorginho, how well he did off the ball in terms of stopping them from progressing through centrally alongside Rice. So very nervous, very anxious when I saw the lineup. I was saying a lot of names about Jorginho at that time, but after full time, I think, you know, he, he deserves a lot of praise. So, yeah. Is that good enough, Sash? Yeah. No. <laughs> honestly, honestly, just a couple of weeks ago. So, me and Rohan, there are certain players that we like a lot. There are a couple of players we, I wouldn't say have an agenda on, but sometimes they can get on our nerves. So, for example, last season, the player that Rohan didn't particularly like was Rob Holding. So, whenever Rob Holding had a bad performance and Arsenal didn't do well, I'd get a message from him saying, ah, look at Holding, he's awful. But then when Arsenal lost even without Holding, I would send him messages saying, it's Rob Holding's fault. <laughs> and, last, and a couple of weeks ago, after the derby, he was telling me, take your Jorginho, collect him. And he was... <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you something about Georgie, man. Probably one of the most misunderstood players in the world, okay? Like, just look at him. Is he built like a defensive midfielder? No. Okay? He's built, he's built, he's, he's so lean. He's not like this super strong guy, muscular and all that. And people, last season, I'll never forget when we went to St. James's Park. They were like, oh, he's going to get bullied. Just see what's going to happen to him. Joel Linton. And all these guys and all of those physical Newcastle players, they're going to get around him and spin past him. But no, this guy has brain. He was man of the match in the most difficult away ground in the Premier League last season. Before Arsenal won, there was only one other team which won, which was Liverpool. And that too, Newcastle were down to 10 men that game. And Jorginho was the man of the match in that kind of game. So you really have to give, give it to Jorginho, I think, personally. He's one of the most underrated midfielders in the world. Every coach has rated him, whether it's Sari, Tukel, Conte, Arteta, all of them have rated him, have played him. And, you know, there are certain players like this, even Xhaka. People used to say, ah, oh, why is Xhaka playing? Play Torreira and Guendouzi together and stuff like oh, this. God. People don't <laughs> oh, see the value. They, see, they look at Xhaka and they think, ah, oh, he's unathletic, he cannot run. But they don't see everything else he brings. And Jorginho, in fact, I said this a few days before the game, play Jorginho, Rice and Odegaard. Jorginho, I get Rohan's point, by the way, he's absolutely spot on when he said that Jorginho cannot like run and it was a bit exposed against Spurs, for example, when he lost the ball and he couldn't recover. That's why I say put Declan Rice next to him, you know. Yep. And Jorginho was 
probably the man of the match, one of the best players in the Champions League final. And what made him good was N'Golo Kante next to him, playing next to him, helping him win the ball back, playing that sweeper role. And Declan Rice was doing that and allowing Jorginho to focus on what he does best, uh, which is passing. And on that note, we have some Xhaka propaganda from my amazing <laughs> friend. Okay. Uh, thank you for tuning in. It's an honor to have you as a listener to the show. And we'd love to have you on as a guest as well one day. But yeah, me and FK have been fighting the Xhaka fight for so long. We've been abused by Excuse everyone. Excuse me, on... me as well. <laughs> but weren't you for selling Xhaka this summer? You weren't. Huh? Are you mad? You... <laughs> what? Sell Xhaka? Sell Xhaka? No way. <laughs> Not a chance. But quickly to go back on your Jorginho point. Um, yeah. And the criticism that I had, again, it was, you know, post literally just like I was fuming after he made that mistake. And I just thought I'm going to leather sash with it because he's the one who's always <laughs> been on my case. But I think in Jorginho's defence, the game that kind of unfolded against Spurs in that second half wasn't necessarily suited to him. And that's where you started to see him make a, a lot more mistakes. But against City, like and like Sash alluded to, the distances were close when we were happy for City. When City effectively bypassed our press in certain moments in that first phase, in their first phase, we sat in that block and Jorginho, having someone like Declan Rice next to him and what Sasha alludes to, it made him, it allowed him to become the best version of himself off the ball. Um, and, and that's where I think with someone like Jorginho, I've always, one thing I've always said about Jorginho is that if he had the athletic capabilities of a Declan Rice, he'd be one of the best in the world easily, easily because of his of his ability on the board and his understanding of the game. I've always said with Jorginho, I think he'd be a really good coach because I think his intelligence is so so is is right up there. I think it's a case of his physical deficiencies let him down. And that's where I get frustrated because I like a certain type of player and it's not necessarily that Jorginho type. So maybe that's where mm -hmm. my agenda is. I just want to add one thing and I found this point really interesting. But you yeah. said that if Jorginho had like athleticism, he would be one of the best players in the world. But I think human beings, they adapt, you know, to what strengths yeah. and what weaknesses yeah. they have. And I think maybe the fact that Jorginho was never quick as a player growing up, he had to read the game really well to survive in the sport and actually make the career that he did. And I think that's why you... you I don't think there's a player with like the, with like the composure of Jorginho who reads the game that well is that good on the ball and is athletic. Like Declan Rice is really good. But I still think Jorginho in build-up, personal opinion, I think he's better than Rice in terms of picking the ball up from the centre-back and like using the ball. I think Declan Rice has some like improvement scope definitely in that regard. Uh, but I don't know of any midfielder in the world who plays that role who can do everything. Like even Rodri isn't like rapid. Like, I don't think he's catching Son if Son is past him. So, I think Declan Rice has the most potential in that role, yeah, 100%. Sure. And he has to be developed because he's obviously coming into a team which has a completely different style. But I think Jorginho has done very well to have the career that he did. Because if you look at his attributes physically, you'd be like, there's no way this guy's surviving as a six in the Premier League. But he has. And he's won a Champions League as well. So, I really admire him because he's found a way to play an incredible career despite his limitations so yeah well also i think we played to how do i put we we set the team up to you know alleviate his weaknesses on in the physical front like like rohan alluded to before the 
the total distance, you know, between each end of the block that we normally played in against City was like, what, 20, 25 yards. Everyone was really close together. So, you know, Georgina wasn't just by his, by himself in acres of space. And, you know, if he lost the ball, it would just be a free run in on goal. He always had White or Saliba or Gabrielle or Rice or even Odegaard a lot of the time right there to, you know, kind of come in and make up for any losses on the ball that he had. Thankfully, I don't think he had too many, maybe like one. And I, there was one time where he missed a tackle and Rice recovered phenomenally to win the ball back and get it back up the pitch. Uh, but yeah, I, I think in hindsight, you know, considering the way that we that we played and the you know the the patience and the maturity and you know that that uh, restraint that we played with, I think Jorginho was an excellent guy to have sitting in that armchair just to you know get the ball and lay it off, control the tempo of the game, you know, keep us from just pouncing every single time we sensed an opportunity and opening ourselves up at the back like that. Um, so yeah, I, I initially was a little bit concerned about City's ability to, you know, counter against us and Jorginho's lack of, of athleticism. But, you know, I did think back to that Newcastle game and how well it worked. And, you know, upon the second rewatch, it's, it's, it's kind of clear that he was a big reason why City weren't able to counter against us because we didn't lose the ball in bad situations. So, um, yeah, he, I, I think he, I think it was really great. Uh, yeah. Not yesterday on Sunday. Yep, <clears throat> absolutely. It still feels like yesterday because it's so fresh in the memory, isn't it? Like I've been watching <clears throat> the goal that Martinelli scored every day, and yeah, it's 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 amazing. These next two weeks until we have the next shocking performance, and we're all ranting again. Let's just enjoy. Please don't let that be against Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, no, not against them, please. Yeah, <laughs> but no, honestly, I thought the first half and even. <coughs> second half, I don't think we played at our very best. And personally, I felt one of the reasons that was the case was because of the front three. Um, and, I mean, right from the time the team was out, I just didn't see that front three clicking personally. Like, I felt Eddie, he's a player that needs the whole team to play for him. And when you don't have wide players who are like really good 1v1, especially against a team like Man City, who you can maybe pick off a bit in transition. You don't have any wide threat as such in terms of like Martinelli space or Saka's trickery, you know, to make something happen out of nothing. So it was it was like we were just relying on combination play and it was a bit too predictable for me. And also Eddie, for me, he doesn't do enough in terms of dropping deep and linking. I know he's improved a lot, but I don't think he's anywhere near uh, the level of Gabriel Jesus or... Even Kai Havertz, who came on in the second half, who we will get into. But personally, I felt that front three was really disjointed. Uh, I know I, I, we were speaking to Rohan uh, before we started the stream, and he mentioned that he would have probably played Kai Havertz in Reese Nelson. And I agree with him because I think this was the perfect game state for him. Uh, so, Rohan, I just want to get your thoughts on that front three selection because even against um, uh, Lens in midweek, we saw that we played Fabio Vieira on the right. Trussard on the left. Like it, I, I get it. We have some injury issues, but do you think we're making the best use of the players we have when such a like injury crisis, if I may put it that way, occurs? Because Saka and Martinelli are two of our starting wingers, perennially fit throughout last season, and suddenly both of them are unavailable. So, how would you have dealt with that? Yeah, I think going to the Lance performance. You know, obviously we started that game nominally with Saka 
um, Jesus and Trossard and then Saka obviously came off and then he brought Fabio Vieira on. And one of the criticisms that I have of Arteta is that I don't think he balances the profiles well enough at times in terms of the front line and who he has as those number eights or who he has at fullback. So when Fabio Vieira came on at right wing, cool. Everyone, It's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but if you're going to start Fabio Vieira in that role, then allow him to operate in the best possible way for him to be his the best version and that's why he likes to come inside into the half space and we know that deadly cross that he has towards the back post and his ability to kind of find players in those areas between the lines and what he had when Fabio Vieira came on he had Erdegaard as the number eight still nominally on paper and you have Tomiyasu at right back so you have no runners for Fabio Vieira and no one to kind of create that separation for him so when you have a Fabio Vieira right wing you need an Emil Smith-Rowe at right centre mid or you keep her to guard at number eight in that right half space, but you have a Ben White to give him that overlap. So you need to find the balance. And I didn't think he had that there. And, you know, as the game went on as well on the left-hand side, I don't think that um, when he brought Reese Nelson as well, um, he kept Erdegaard in that right half space and he kept Emil Smith-Rowe in the left half space. And I'm thinking to myself, well, wouldn't it make more sense having someone like an Erdegaard drop towards the other side who can go on the outside of Reese Nelson, who can come in, and, and likewise, Smith-Rowe going on the outside of Fabio Vieira. So I don't think Arteta necessarily has always got the balance correct, um, as good as what it could be, when Saka and Martinelli are absent. And even on Sunday, um, when I looked at that front line, I just felt that there was no one who was going to allow us to stretch City and go in behind and to create more distances between their midfield and the back line. I mean, you think of the the goal that we scored, the Tommy Asu run, but also the Havertz presence. Look at the distance that we created between City's midfield and the back line, and then Walker coming more narrow because of Tommy Asu's run, that created the space for Martinelli. I don't think that that front line would have allowed us, didn't allow us to do that, and everything was played in front of Manchester City. Only Jesus was able to kind of stretch us on the right-hand side. I think we should talk about where I think he was a really good release valve, um, and I do think that when I'm looking at the options and who's the most suited replacement to Saka, it is Jesus right wing wing talking about just individually because I think he's quite comfortable coming inside. We've seen his performances at Man City there as well. But in terms of centre forward and left wing, I, I do think that this game would have had more balance if you had Kai Havertz as that focal point and having a Nelson because you know that those two, I think there's a good balance there. I think Nelson can stretch you more um, and he could give you that, that release. I think you know what Kai Havertz is able to do with his height and his frame. And you look at Raya when he's kind of baiting the press at times, he can go long. And we saw it in the second half in that period when we actually did take the lead. The amount of times Kai Havertz, those two occasions, he was able to kind of act as that outlet to kind of ping that ball towards um, and, and hold it up and, and, and allow us to kind of relieve that pressure. I didn't think we had that. Um, and that's what made us a little bit more toothless um, for, across the front line. And and, and not, not, not many chances generated as well, although I do think Jesus, as good as he was as an outlet, I don't think his decision-making was good at all in the final third, um, which could have led to more chances created. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I could not agree more on your point about having to balance profiles. And yeah. I think one of the things that I'm seeing, I mean, I'm not an expert in football, but for me, there are three types of players. Like one of them, one is a creator, another is a runner. And then there's a small subset of players who can do both, like Prime Messi, for example, who can create and can run. Um, and I think it's about balancing those profiles, as you mentioned. So Saka is more of a creative player. So personally, 
I would have someone like Smithro or someone who overlaps, who gives him that option next to him. But I can see why Arteta plays Odegaard. And obviously, there's another school of thought which says that intelligent players, they will combine well with each other and, and make things happen. Um, but then on the other side, with Martinelli, I think he struggled a bit this season because we've put Kai Havertz predominantly to play that. And I think in Martinelli's best moments have actually come when Fabio Vieira was there, who's more of a creative type player, was able to release him. So, yeah, I think that point is a really good one that you make. And even the point on Reese Nelson, I completely agree. Like, I don't think he's a runner. I would not yeah. categorize him. But I think he's more than Trussard, right? Exactly, yeah. that's It's like, relatively speaking, isn't it? It's not necessarily Reese Nelson is that Martinelli stylist. He's stylistically similar to Martinelli, no. But when you're talking relatively speaking, he's yeah. more suited than a Trussard. And I think the point that you made about Fabio Vieira is a really good one because when you see Martinelli and Havertz, they were colliding in terms of the spaces that they wanted to operate in. And then when mm -hmm. you saw Fabio Vieira come in, and this season, Arsenal have been building a lot wider. We've been kind of vacating the centre, which has offered its advantages and disadvantages. The advantages are that we're going to lose the ball in areas that are seen as less vulnerable. And therefore, yeah. we're not going to concede as many chances. And the, the numbers back that up. Because if you lose the ball out wide, it allows you to kind of recover a lot quicker mm -hmm. to deal with that threat. Whereas last season, there were a lot of criticism of Arsenal going too vertical centrally, which yeah. allowed us to be really creative. But mm -hmm. we were losing in those areas and that led to more turnovers and more dangerous opportunities. But so it's it's helping us in a, in a defensive aspect, but it's kind of hindering us in an attacking aspect. But with Fabio Vieira, you have someone who's kind of like more ball to feet. He's going to receive it. And then you've got Martinelli as a runner. Fabio Vieira is someone who thrives with a runner that you can play that pass towards in behind. Um, and that's a balance that we saw a lot more than yeah. Kai Havertz. So, yeah, just to back your point up on that. No, absolutely. I think Arteta is also a bit scarred from what happened towards the end of last season, like with yeah. City, the way they just hit us, like on transition, playing long balls when we used, when we lost the ball. So I think he's trying to like make us a bit more conservative, a bit more professional uh, with how we go about things. And I think we saw some really good signs against Palace, for example, against Everton as well. But I thought we were really professional in how we went about those games and limited the opposition to less chances. But then you also have games like Spurs, where maybe that it didn't work the way it should have worked. So I think it's still a work in progress. But I, I, I like the idea to make us a team that's more like efficient, less drama. Maybe initially we might think like, oh, we're not playing as well as last season. But I think it's a little bit of short-term pain for greater good. So yeah, looking forward to see the team evolve. But Sham, what did you make of that front three? Um, was it the front three you would have started as well? And in general, what did you make about the first like 45 minutes? Because I was not happy with the performance. I even sarcastically sent Rohan a message saying Arteta has messed it up or something on those lines. I sent something very offensive, um, which I deleted at full time. But we'll get into that later. But what did you make of the first 45 minutes and the selection in general? Yeah. Um... I definitely was in the camp of, and we'll, we'll, you know, I'll, we'll get onto this in a second, but I definitely was in the camp of being worried about Jeremy Doku, right? And what he could do against our fullbacks. And I think we all know that Zinchenko isn't great one on one uh, defensively. And then I think White also is susceptible now and again to, um, you know, just, 
being very uh, troubled by 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 a winger. You know, Marcus Rashford appears to have his number, uh, and I was just kind of worried that the pace and trickery that Doku offers might have been um, just a little bit too much for him to deal with on his own. So I wanted Tomiyasu to start somewhere, whether it was right back or left back. And uh, so I was... You, I, I I wouldn't say I was like concerned or worried, but you know I think that's one thing I would have done. We already touched on the Jorginho thing, and then with the front three, um, I agree that Jesus is probably the second best right right wing that we have. But I just if you're not going to start Havertz at center forward, then you start Jesus at center forward. I think is is how I feel about that, right? And. I think Eddie Nketia is a really good player, and I think he's been very reliable for us at times. But throughout this season, I think we've asked him to play a game that's not really within his skill set, right? And I noticed that, you know, again, we were trying to ask him to hold the ball up and link up a little bit and and press. And I don't think really either of those are, are his forte. Right, um, he didn't offer much of a much of an outlet in build up, I think, and in pressing, I kind of noticed that you know Jesus is running up and down the pitch, right? Odegaard is running up and down the pitch. Odegaard was sprinting in the final minutes of the match. It felt like Enkedia was content to do the pressing that he was supposed to do, and then just jog around, and you know, even if Jesus decided you know that a pressing trigger was on and ran up past him and Ketty wouldn't drift into his spot and cover for him. So um I I wasn't thrilled to see Enkedia starting and then you know I agree on the Trossard point. I would have started Nelson there. He's not an out and out Martinelli clone per se, but he's a guy that you can play in behind. He's a guy that offers pace and trickery. And I I just feel that if you're going to start Jesus on the right and Trussard on the left, you're like you guys said, you're very much playing in front of the defense. And I don't like doing mainly that, right? It's it, it's fine if most of your players are kind of in that mold, but I think I think we always need to have a couple guys who offer that threat in behind. And, you know, that's that's what Martinelli did for us, and he changed the game when he came on the second half. Um, I just feel like if you're, especially on that left wing, if you're playing Trossard, he's not going to make runs in behind, really. Uh, that's a guy who, you know, holds the ball on the flank, combines, and is is more of a, you know, is more of a passer, a creator than a runner, like you said, Sash. So, yeah, I was, I was kind of worried about all that. And um, to begin the match, I think Raya was a little nervy. I think um, we gave City a couple chances that maybe on another day they would have put away, and we're talking about a different game here. Um, but I think after you know the opening 25, 30 minutes, I think we really grew into the match. And I, I personally think we ended the first half strongly. Um, and then, of course, we came out the second half, and I think we were great. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, on the point that you made about the fullbacks, you know, I was also very surprised that... Tomiyasu was not playing. I expected him to play as the left back. I don't think Arteta wanted to play him as the right back again because last season at right back somehow, I don't know, Tomiyasu is not the same player. He's a bit stiff, I feel. And you saw last season under a bit of pressure, he got flustered, gave the ball away and De Bruyne scored. And I think at times Tomiyasu under the press, especially at right back, 
it's not super convincing. But somehow, as a centre-back, or when he plays on the left, he seems to be a completely different player, and he uh, showed that once uh, he came on. Uh, but Rohan, what did you make of that? Would you have started Tomiyasu, or would you start Zinchenko? Like, earlier in the week, I put out a bit of a controversial take that I don't think Zinchenko will be a starter in 12 months' time. Do you agree with that? Or do you think, no, Zinchenko is going to be a key player for the project? He's going to be a guy that's going to be here throughout and play an integral role in helping Arsenal win the Premier League, win the Champions League. What do you think? I think with Zinchenko, in 12 months' time, there is the opportunity for Kivio to potentially take his place. Um, that, that, so there's a good chance of that happening. Because I think when, you, when you're talking about the Champions League and those high-octane fixtures, it's all about fine margins, decisive actions. You're up against dangerous wingers who stand you at 1v1. It doesn't matter how... It, it, a very simple and common principle in football with these positional teams is that you have an underlapping number eight or fullback who will make that run in between your centre-back and your fullback, And that means that your block narrows, the switch is open to the winger, and then it's a 1v1 between your fullback and that winger. And Zinchenko, whilst he has improved in terms of his 1v1s in those isolated moments, it still isn't convincing because if you look at his body positioning, his shape, he's still very square on. And you wouldn't expect him to be excellent in that regard because he was a midfielder by trade. You know, so so that's where, you know, his deficiencies aren't necessarily, you can't attribute it to him. It's not necessarily his fault in that aspect. It's like, for example, Nuno Tavares. Nuno Tavares struggles massively off the ball in deeper areas. He struggles to track blindside runs. And that's because he was a winger by trade. So you're not tasked to do that. So I think with Zinchenko, there is the opportunity for Arsenal to grow past him with a Kivior. But we still need to see more from Kivior because I think with Kivior is when you're talking about an inverted option when he comes inside in between the opposition front line and their midfield block. He has he, he struggles to kind of turn quickly and to open up the pitch with his passing. Whereas Kivio is a lot better when he's dropping into left centre back outside of the block, so that then he can play those passes forward without without being under pressure. So I think he struggles um, under the press in an inverted role. But what Kivio does give you is that I think he switches play better than Zinchenko personally. I think that flat ball over the top. I think he's probably alongside Saliba. Um, across the back line, probably our best in that regard, um, in terms of clean technique. And I think defensively is what 1v1. I think Kivior has the edge against Zinchenko as well. So there's growth there for Kivior to potentially displace Zinchenko. But I do think Zinchenko had a really good game um, on Sunday, uh, both on the ball and off the ball. You know, there was a couple of actions from Doku where I'm at the stadium thinking, well, this is exactly what, what, I, what, not what I wanted and what I feared. Both White and Zinchenko, actually. Um, and Zinchenko did really well in that regard. Um, and I think he also showed quite a good level of calmness in position because as good as Zinchenko is in build-up, he's also very much like Thomas Partey and that they're very vertical, they're very brave. So there yeah. is the tendency to lose the ball. But I thought he was very safe and secure of his passing. And I think we'll go to Raya as well later. And I think um, that was the kind of game plan Arteta wanted. And I thought Zinchenko did really well in that regard. But yes, I do think there's the opportunity of him being displaced on the team. Um, and I... I'm worried about Ben White as one of those 1v1s, but that mm -hmm. was a trade-off I was willing to make to play him at right-back because Tommy Asu was um, White at right-back in this game. You either go for Tommy Asu, who's really going to give you more qualities 1v1 in deeper areas if a Doku started, but Tommy Asu is not going to give you anywhere near the same level of quality as a Ben White going forward in the final third in possession. Yeah. 
So it's that it's whatever trade-off you're willing to make. And I was willing to sacrifice the fact that Ben White isn't as strong as Tomiyasu in deep areas. But I I think Ben White's qualities as that run on the outside, also in pressure situations and build-up, I preferred having him there as well. So I was I I, I did want Zinchenko and both White to start, but going back to your point, I do think that um there is um the opportunity for Zinchenko to grow out this team. And I know Sash is a he's got an agenda. He's got an agenda on Zinchenko, a small one like my Jorginho one. <laughs> I, I just have to explain myself on Zinchenko here, okay? His injury record, we criticize Thomas Party so much for his injury record, but Zinchenko has a record in terms of picking up injuries, which is way worse than Thomas Party has. He misses on average at least 12 games a season in the Premier League, and that, that was also the case last season, and it's been the case throughout his career so far. Last season, there were multiple games where he was poor defensively and he had to be taken off after 60, 65 minutes for Tierney to come on and help shut the shop. And there were some games he could have costed us as well, like Newcastle away last season, where two or three huge chances came through him, which were not taken. And Ramsdale really saved, I think, his blushes. And yeah, I just think he's too high maintenance for what he does. Even at Anfield, in a decisive moment, he got cooked 1v1 and we ended up throwing away the lead. Of course, people like Rohan blame Rob Holding for that. But still, <laughs> <laughs> the fact of the matter is our left back got cooked by a right back who's not even known for doing stuff like that. So I always have this concern with Zinchenko. And even the fact that we're being like, oh, wow, he dealt with two actions of Doku. I think that tells you the concerns that we have about him as a player. Yeah, no, I was, I was terrified of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I just think he's too high maintenance. I think he's, I, I see where he adds value, obviously. I think he's such a unique player as well. But I also want Arsenal to have players who are not high maintenance. Yeah. Just, just quickly on that. I completely forgot about the main player who I think is going to displace Jinchenko, and that's Timber. <laughs> I've just completely, I've just completely forgot that he's an Arsenal player. No, no, ignore what I said. I think Kivio has a really good potential to grow in that role, but mm-hmm. I think Timber, I think Timber for me is the one who can really because you saw it in the Community Shield, the game that we played in the Community Shield. I don't think we would have won with Zinchenko at left back in that game because the amount of times in which City did when they did bypass our press that was really good in that game but still City being the team that they are and having a Rodri in that game as well made a massive difference for them the way yeah. they switched it and they had um, 1v1s against Timber but also Walker making these runs on the outside the amount of crosses he stopped the amount of duels that he won in those situations yeah. that was so key and this is it's not a it's is a criticism of Zinchenko because Zinchenko wouldn't be able to give us that Zinchenko has got different qualities but I think Timber the qualities that he has in terms of as an inverted option but he's not necessarily someone who's going to break lines as freely as a Zinchenko but he's going to break lines through his carries how he drives the ball and how he runs with it the underlaps that he makes but also yeah. those 1v1s he's going to give you more decisiveness so I actually think Timber will displace him um very soon once he comes back um yeah. healthy yeah, but I also want to say that I don't think we should rely on the left back to progress the ball out from the back to the extent that we do when Zinchenko plays. And I think that's exacerbated by the fact that we don't have a natural eight in that left. We, I, I would like someone, like not like Shaka ideally, but he's obviously gone. So I would like a playmaker type profile maybe on that side or maybe even someone like Gundawan, that profile. 
good on the ball but can also attack the box so personally i wouldn't want to rely to that extent on a left back to carry the build up because it's not sustainable as i mentioned he's not going to be fit we're going to play 50 games a season he's going to probably play in 30 to 35 out of which 10 he will be hooked after 60 minutes so i think we have a huge problem like to rely on left backs so i think the long term solution is yeah get a midfielder who can like progress the ball there and you know as you mentioned we have different options sham obviously mentioned tommy asu and this is an this is an opinion that's also echoed by other people tarun says tommy asu at left back for big games we saw it last season against liverpool when he shut sala i didn't know sala played that match and as rohan mentioned timber as well and kivi also we have options we have different options in that position so yeah i think there is a good chance that zinni might not uh, be there for too long Sham, you want to say something? Yeah, I mean, I do. I do think there is a role for for Zinchenko, even if he isn't the starting left back per se. I think he is very similar in profile to Jorginho, right? And I don't think we're going to hold on to Jorginho forever. So, I think that's maybe something that he could take over. You know, be playing as that six, that tempo controller. I think Why obviously. I don't want him. Down. Well, I mean, you'd put like it, you would put someone next to him. You know, it wouldn't just be him yeah. and acres of space. But I, yeah. I think that's maybe an option. I think also he might be. I I, I think that there is a job opening at the left eight position currently, mm-hmm. and I think that's something Zinchenko could look at if he's, you know, eventually displaced by a Timber or a Tomiyasu uh, or a Kivior. Who you know, I I think all three of those guys could could take over that position. I think. that is at least the near future of that position you're already seeing city do it right when we when we signed kivior i kind of started viewing him as our version of nathan ake or our version of manuel akanji right you basically center back playing as a full back and having those those physical and athletic traits there um that you know a lot of full backs don't necessarily have in the premier league so Man, every once in a while I think about how good we are and then I realize that we'd be even better if we had Timber. But um yeah, so I I do think Zinchenko's days are probably numbered mm-hmm. uh, at Arsenal in terms of him holding down the left back position, but I I do still think he has, you know, just immense technical quality and um enough capability where we could find other uses for him. Yeah, no, absolutely. 100%. Good headaches to have. the very fact that timbers injured and we're just able to almost like seamlessly cope without him is a good sign and yeah as arsen wenger used to say i think he will be like a new signing when uh, he returns and hopefully he returns soon and judging by some of the rumors that i'm seeing on twitter from itks who are some of them are frauds but some of them i think know <laughs> what they're talking about uh, i think he sh- hopefully should be back by march so fingers crossed on that one But and now I'm going to get into a topic that Rohan is deeply passionate about and he said he would come on this podcast only if we spoke about that topic so we need to now get into David Raya versus Aaron Ramsdale okay and here's the thing David Raya had a really shaky first half I thought against Man City um he showed a lot of bravery to be fair to him even in situations where his fans we were like no kick it kick kick the ball we, like you know we we yeah. stuck Panicking. I think some PTSD hits in from the past where we have Socrates, Mustafi, and Kalas under Emery trying to play out from the back. But this is a new team, 
And Arteta is super keen on us to play out from the back. And he's had this issue with Leno before. I remember there was this game away to West Ham where we conceded three goals within the first 25 minutes. It's the game we drew 3-3. And Arteta was fuming because the goals we conceded were us going long. Suchek and Rice just winning all those duels in midfield and then West Ham were in. So this is why he wants the goalkeeper to be braver, to follow his instructions. Yes, things can go wrong. We saw what happened when Ramsdale played the pass straight to a Southampton player in a crucial match. But obviously, Arteta thinks that it's worth the risk. And David Raya has shown a lot of calmness to actually attempt that. Now, on another day, he might have made a mistake. Um, and I think Julian Alvarez scores. And we're sitting here and debating about Raya. Is he the guy? I know things could have played out differently. But how things went on for him ever since that shaky first half, he went on to play much better as the game went on. I thought towards the end, he played a major role in helping Arsenal close out the game. So, Rohan, since you're super passionate about this topic, I want to ask you... Super passionate. (laughs) I want to ask you about David Raya. Today, uh, you shared a quote in a group chat that we're both part of, an amazing group chat called Sensible Asna. It's only for the most exclusive of Arsenal fans. (laughs) Oh, God's sake. (laughs) But you had a quote um, which was basically Ramsey speaking about his positioning, how Arteta wants him to be higher, higher, higher and play with that bravery, play almost as the sweeper, keeper. And sometimes we we speak about formations, we say 4-3-3 and all that. But sometimes when I see Arsenal building up, I see the keeper as part of that team, you know. I think the keeper now has to be included in whatever shape you have because he's the guy who's initiating the attack. So, Rohan, I want to ask you about David Raya. I want to ask you about Raya versus Ramsdale, the whole debate. And how do you see this? So, Raya versus Ramsdale is very interesting because I really like both. I think both have different qualities. Um, Both have their pros, both have their cons. I think with David Raya and Ramsdale, I think we could go to David Raya's performance against Man City. And I think... Because I was at the game and I watched it back. Um, and I think Gary Neville's commentary was really harsh on him in that first 10 minutes, saying that he was really nervous and shaky. He wasn't really nervous and shaky. He was doing what, exactly what Arteta was asking him to do in the game. Exactly what he was The crowd was nervous to. and shaky. Nervous. The crowd, I tell you what, though, the crowd where I sat, they were giving David Raya a lot of stick. And I think that comes with the panic. And because, because he was delaying, he was delaying the action and... We, you could see, because you have the whole pitch in front of you where I was sat, and where Alvarez is um, and when, where Rico Lewis was, when they would try and press Gabriel, Zinchenko was the free man. So he could have played the quick ball to Zinchenko. But the more times you go long against Man City, you then create this transitional game and a basketball match. And having someone like an Alvarez and a Haaland, they thrive in those situations. So it's about calmness, control, and luring them as close as possible as you can towards the ball before releasing it. And that's what Raya was doing. Now, I think with the Alvarez um, chance, I don't think the pass from Gabriel is a very good one if you look at, if you watch it back because he actually passes it straight into Raya's body. Now, again, it is more Raya's fault for sure, but Gabriel needs to play that pass a little bit away from him so that he can open his body up quicker and then play it towards the right-hand side. Whereas the pass that Gabriel plays into him, Raya has to take a touch, he has to turn his body, and then he has to make an action. So... It is a poor moment for him, but I don't think it is fair to... I think we should also look at the pass from Gabriel. The Mm -hmm. second half, though, he was ridiculous. 
outstanding. And I think you've got to give players credit for the reaction that they have. When you have a poor start to a game or you're not able to kind of deliver the instructions exactly how it was required, even though you're trying to do that, you still have to react. There's still an extra 45 minutes of the game to go. And the way that he was playing those passes into Jesus, acting as that release, and the way in which we managed the game after we got the goal, there was a really good passage in which Rye received the ball like three times. And it was three really good pings into Havertz, which kind of replicates that dynamic of Rye Tony as well, uh, when you talk about Brentford. Um, mm. And that just allowed us to kind of kill the game in, those pit in that period. So I, I think he reacted really well. I think in terms of Rye and Rabsdale, if you watch the Bournemouth game back, Raya was playing left centre-back in build-up and Gabriel was wider. Um, and and it, was, it was crazy. And it's, it creates this 4-2-5 shape that you have. Now, imagine if the goalkeeper is just in between the sticks and you're creating that 4-2-4 and you have, the, you have Gabriel at left centre-back, you have the full-backs wide, the two in midfield. One of those sitters will be a number eight. Um, and, and then you have that front four. With Raya playing at left centre-back, it means that you can push an extra player further forward so that when you do break the press, you can transition quicker and therefore overload quicker and therefore generate a chance at a quicker rate. Think of that moment against Bournemouth. Do you know when Raya played that pass into Zinchenko? Um, he split it. And then look at the numbers that we got forward and look how Bournemouth was so underloaded. And there was a poor cutback from White in that moment. Um, but that's what Raya gives you. He can play with more height than yeah. Ramsdale. And you see the, the the number of touches that he's having relative to Ramsdale. Ramsdale, I think he's a lot more nervy when he's under pressure. He'll still attempt to break lines and he still does it really well. But mm -hmm. I think with Raya, he's very much more calm and composed to walk the ball in front of him. So, sorry to waffle on, but when when Brighton play under De Zerbi, you watch the goalkeeper, he just rolls the ball vertically, rolls it vertically, waits for the press. And the reason why he rolls it vertically is because... In a press, teams are anticipating which way to go. So they can kind of predict which way the goalkeeper is going to pass to, whether it's the right centre-back or the left centre-back. But And therefore, you can curve your press quicker and therefore you can cage a team towards the flanks quicker and win the ball back or force a throw in, etc. When you mm -hmm. roll it vertically, the opposition don't know which way you're going to pass it. They don't know which way you're going to play it left or right. And I think Raya does that better than Ramsdale. And that is one of the reasons why he's starting ahead of Ramsdale right now. Now, it's not been perfect, right? I think he's had some poor performances as well. But I think the profile of what he's doing here is something that Arteta really likes in terms of the qualities that he has. And also, you have to give him time because he's playing at, when he played at Brentford, it was very much long balls towards Tony. He's the outlet and it's a lot easier. But at Arsenal, it's about finding the free man. It's about control. It's about patience. It's different pressing um, triggers that you have to anticipate and you have to deal with. There's a lot to process. So you've got to give him time. But I think... That article that I saw, the quote, and some of the things that I've been seeing in-game, that is one of the reasons why I think Raya is playing ahead of Ramsdale right now. Mm -hmm. No, that's so well put. Um, I think, as you mentioned, for me, it's the calmness, you know, that he brings. Maybe it's just also because he's more experienced than David Raya. So I was speaking to some goalkeeping coaches who work in the game, and they were telling me that currently they believe that David Raya is better than uh, Aaron Ramsdale. And... These are people who have actually coached some of these top goalkeepers as well. So they know what they're talking about. And I think goalkeeping is something that's really hard for the average fan to like grasp, I think, personally at least. Because when Ramsdale first came, nobody rated him. They thought, ah, he played for Sheffield, got relegated, played for Bournemouth, got relegated. They were like, nobody knew that Ramsdale could also play out from the back. Like nobody knew that. 
But once he came to Arsenal, he was able to do that. And as you mentioned, David Raya at Brentford predominantly used to go long. Suddenly at Arsenal, he's constantly breaking the lines. So it's really good scouting by Arsenal. I have to say, obviously, the goalkeeping coach has worked with him. But still to land him for like 30 million in this day and age where... Like, I like Onana. I think he's a decent goalkeeper. But, you know, I think David Raya is way better than Onana. Okay, And he's come for like 20 or 25 million cheaper. And that's just great business uh, by Arsenal. He's Premier League proven. He's calm. And, yeah, I think Arteta saw something towards the end of last season with Ramsdale. Where he was like, no, we need to go up another level. And as fans, we love Ramsdale. And I know you mentioned he's emotional. But we also like that emotion that Ramsdale has on the football pitch, but I think Arteta sees it differently. He's like, no, we need to be calmer. And we actually kept a home clean sheet. We don't keep them very often, but we kept a home clean sheet against the best side in the world, which is crazy. Because crazy. before that, we were not keeping home clean sheets. We would concede to Fulham, Spurs, every team that we played. I think we kept like two home clean sheets or three home clean sheets this whole year before we played City. And I mean, it's early days for David Raya, but he's played like three home games and he has two clean sheets. So I think it's a pretty good start for him. But Sham, how do you see it? Do you also see it the same way uh, as Rohan does? And also, I want to ask you what you make of Ramsdale's future. So do you think this two goalkeepers competition works? Because obviously Ramsdale is still a top goalkeeper. I think he's better than Chelsea's goalkeeper. I think he's better than United's goalkeeper. So... One of these top sides could easily catch him. And I think he's better than Pickford as well. So, he's obviously vying for England's number one spot. So, what is all this, like, what happens to him? Yeah, I mean, I, I, on the on the Raya point, I think it's really hard to, to deny that he's more suited for what we're trying to do right now than Ramsdale is. And, um, you know, I think, I think Ramsdale, I don't want to... I don't want to say he doesn't have composure because I don't think that's fair, but I think Ramsdale just gets a little bit more nervous when he's asked to play, you know, as boldly as Raya is right now. When you have your goalkeeper kind of moving that far forward and essentially acting as another center back in possession, I don't think that's something that Ramsdale really liked doing all that much. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he's, I think Ramsdale's a phenomenal keeper. Yeah, it's just I think Raya is just that little bit better in in his long distribution, right? And against City, he went he was ten for twenty four in long passes, which I think is you know that's that's a pretty good percentage, um, especially considering you know the 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 occasion and the team that you're playing. Um, and we did not have an outlet really in Kai Havertz until like well, I think it was the late sixties, early seventies in terms of minutes. So for about seventy minutes, you're hitting it out to, you know, Jesus and Martinelli and, and Odegaard and Enkedia and, and hoping that, you know, those guys are able to win their duels and at least, you know, get the ball to someone else uh, to win the second ball. But um, yeah, so I, I think Raya is working really well right now. Um, and I think there's just an inherent risk with the way that we play. And, and also another thing I do want to add here, you know, with people kind of getting on Raya's case when he was, holding the ball for a second and inviting the the opposition onto him. That I, I think that that was planned, right? That was that was coached. That was intended. Um, you know, we're trying to draw people in so that we have that extra space and we have that free man to play the ball to and build up. So I think people were getting nervous because, you know, we're playing Manchester City and we're 
maybe playing with fire a little bit, but I think the game plan worked and I think Riot executed it to a very high level. In terms of what this means for Ramsdale, uh, you know, it's it's tough to say. I mean, I think I think it's a win-win either way because either Ramsdale stays with us and develops and and learns that extra part of his game where maybe he can get to the same place as Raya and maybe even exceed him in terms of you know um, having that calmness on the ball, having that long-range distribution, playing as a center back in um, in build-up and giving us that extra man. You know, I I think either he stays and and learns how to do all that. Or, you know, Bayern Munich or Chelsea or someone come in and give us 60 million pounds for him and, and we make a we make a pretty nifty profit on on a goalkeeper and we move forward. You know, I think I think either way that's fine. In terms of how that affects his standing in the in the national team, I don't really think he can do anything to to improve his standing, if we're being quite honest. I think I think Southgate is not a good coach. And um, he is he's a locker room vibes guy who now has to actually get the most out of maybe the best generation of players England have ever had. Um, So but this this guy has decided that Pickford's his guy. So, you know, I think the only thing that makes Ramsdale star for England is two injuries to Pope and Pickford. Other than that, you know, there's really um, I wouldn't be worried if I were him about my standing in the England squad. Um, so yeah, I, we'll see what happens. I I don't think there's any guarantee that Raya is our long-term starter, a goalkeeper. I just think right now he's the guy who is doing the best job at, um, performing Mikel Arteta's preferred game plan. Mm -hmm. No, I could not agree more. And again, this, this goes back to the fullback debate as well. These are good headaches to have, isn't it? Like not so long ago, like when I first started supporting Arsenal, we had like Almunia and Vito Manone as the goalkeepers. And I was like, oh my God, no matter which goalkeeper plays, we make some terrible mistakes. So it's good to go from that to having this headache. We have like Raya versus Ramsdale. I think two top quality goalkeepers. Like Ramsdale, don't forget, like he was literally in the Premier League team of the season just a couple of weeks before like he got dropped. He was nominated. So it's not like he's an average goalkeeper by any means. But these are good headaches to have. And as Sham mentioned, you know, I think there's only one winner here and that's Arsenal. If Ramsdale fights for his place and improves to a level where he's better than David Raya, that's really good for Ramsdale and also good for Arsenal because he's obviously upgrading what we have and what we think is currently the best option, which is Raya. And if he's able to exceed that, that's phenomenal. But on the other hand, if he goes, as Sham mentioned, to buy on Chelsea for 60 million, that's really good profit and Arsenal usually don't sell so well usually don't make that kind of profit but I think that would be a good sign for the club in terms of this next era as we progress into the next era because I think 2021 was a sort of reset for Arsenal we signed some of these young players Ramsdale, White, Odegaard and all these guys so in this next batch if you, if you can see Arsenal actually selling some of these guys for 50, 60 million, maybe even Smithrow might fetch a similar price. So I think it's good. It's a good sign for Arsenal that we have these sellable assets that we know we can reinvest. So yeah, I think that's really good for the future. But on the point both of you actually made about the long balls he played to Kai Havertz once he came on, I want to touch upon that. And I want to touch upon Kai Havertz especially because this was a guy who got dogs abuse, okay, from Arsenal fans 
And also from Chelsea fans for how he's played in the first eight games in an Arsenal shirt. And I think people forget one thing. He's obviously coming into a new club and he's coming from one of the worst clubs in England last season. If you're like a young player who wants to thrive and play with the most toxic fan base, I think, in the Premier League. Like this guy literally scored a Champions League final winning goal for Chelsea and their fans just keep abusing him. I don't get it. And I know, Rohan, you're a huge fan of Havertz. I know when we signed him, you were excited by the signing. I was also excited by the signing. But not all Arsenal fans were. They had, I guess, this thing like, oh, Havertz, he won't work. And I feel like a lot of fans have gone with that closed mind into the season. I get it. Havertz did struggle in a few games in that position that he was playing, which is a bit unnatural to him. It's a new position, a new system. He was adapting, but he got so much criticism for those displays. And if Arsenal, like even against Spurs, he's come on for like 20 minutes as a substitute. And people are scapegoating him for how badly we played when we were very bad even before he came on. But I think against Man City, he showed again that he's probably a second striker or a centre forward as of this moment. I know, Rohan, that I, based on what we chatted before, I think... You do think that Harvards does have potential as the eight as well, uh, but he obviously needs to play more and get used to the role. But I want to get your thoughts on his performance and also why you see him uh, at Arsenal. Wasn't it great to see him actually come, give an assist against the side we haven't beaten yeah. in the league since 2015 and really say, I've arrived? Because I think this was way bigger than that penalty goal he scored. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And for me, I'm more on the camp of Kai Havertz centre-forward. Um, as opposed to number eight, personally. I think Kai Havertz, when I look at the way that Arsenal operate with the number nine, is someone who's capable as a plus one in build-up, to drop deep, to play quick passes, and then to spin in behind and to arrive in space, but also to generate overloads out wide, whether it's right or left. And that's what Jesus does really well in that role. And I think Kai Havertz can do that role as well, and why I'm advocating for him to start more games as that centre forward, because he also has the height and the frame, which you can play as a target, and you can bypass all that pressure from an opposition press, and then you can allow others within close proximity to latch onto second balls. And you've got into the final third very quickly due to having that focal point. And when I look at Kai Havertz's best performances so far at Arsenal, it is through the middle. When you think of the Community Shield, where he was excellent against City, think of the City pressed differently in that game. They pressed more man-to-man in the Community Shield. There's a lot more higher energy and intensity. And I think that's due to some of the players that they had in that game and how they were more confident to execute that game plan. And the amount of times which Kai Havertz was able to kind of hold off um, a centre-back under contact, under pressure, um, has, has, has loves the Berbatov comparison, I swear. <laughs> it's a great it is a good comparison. Yeah, yeah, it is a great yeah. comparison, to be fair. Um, but I, I just think that you talk about that coming shield performance. You think of against PSV when he moved through the middle um, after he made changes. As a finisher in games against Forest Palace, as that release where we kind of needed someone to kind of alleviate pressure um, in, in towards the last stages of the game. Um, and yesterday, you know, not yesterday, sorry, on Sunday, you know, the, his best performances have came through the middle. And I think as a number eight, yes, there is potential there. But I look at, for example, someone like Declan Rice, for example, in that left central midfield role um, on paper against City. He increases the tempo, and that's something that Kai Havertz hasn't been able to do as that number eight in that role. I think we've seen so many good 
qualities from Kai Havertz in the press, which I think is very underrated. Think of the amount of people who are talking about Kai Havertz as this lazy player before he came. And I was saying that Kai Havertz is a player who presses really intelligently and he's good yeah. in duels. And we've seen that. Funnily enough, his best... The, pe the thing that people are criticising Kai Havertz for, he's been really good at. And the things that people thought that he was going to do better at, he hasn't been as so good in that role. But as a centre-forward, I think that that's where the, the, the potential you'll get from Kai Havertz. Or as a second striker, as you alluded to. Think of that. The goal, you could kind of point towards Kai Havertz as a centre-forward or the second striker. So Tommy Asu knocks it down. He has Kai Havertz within close proximity, who then lays it to Martinelli, and then he gets the goal as well. So that's the perfect, that's the type of player Kai Havertz is. You know, and I, for me, for me, I, I'm not too keen on him as that left central midfielder in the number eight. I like Kai Havertz as a centre-forward, yeah. and I like him as a second striker, if that's how we evolve um, next season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that was such a beautiful goal, and coming to think of it, it was Thomas Partey's long ball to Tommy Asu, to Havertz, to Martinelli. It was like four substitutes combining yeah. to score the winner. <laughs> That's crazy if you think about it, because that doesn't happen very often. Like yeah. four substitutes, one who's a defender, one who's a midfielder, one who's a striker, and one who's a winger. It's, it's it that sort of thing does not happen uh, so often. But Sham, what did you make of Kai Havertz's impact? And I also have a question, open question to both of you. Ivan Tony, would you sign him in January, or would you give Kai Havertz the go ahead to try and stake his claim until the end of the season. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of Havertz's performance, you know, I've, I, I've, I've really been rooting for the guy. Right. And I, I think we all have, and I think we've wanted him to, you know, to really come in and, and, and improve and get better. And as of yet in the left center mid position, that really hasn't happened all that much, but, at center forward, he was exactly what we needed, right? He, I, I think that might have been his best performance of the season, where he came in and was just completely unfazed by the physicality of City's center backs, right? And, um, you know, Tomiyasu headed the ball over to him and he brought it down and controlled it, held off Nathan Ake and, you know, passed, laid it off for, for Martinelli to, you know, to get that deflection, but to, you know, to score. And then what I was really impressed by was later on in the match where we're clearly trying to waste time and just, you know, run the clock out a little bit and, and uh, get to the final whistle. Havertz receives the ball on the right wing and carries it up a little bit towards the corner flag. And he had two city players just hacking at him, trying to get the ball off him. Right. And he withstood it for, you know, for a good 10, 15 seconds before the ball finally went out of play. And, uh, I was just really impressed by by how good he was there. So, you know, I I agree with Rohan. Um, I I view Havertz as a second striker, and I thought I thought that's what we were going to do with him this season from the left center mid position. When we signed him, in my head, I was like, oh, that's really clever. We'll move him up next to Gabriel Jesus, and then we'll you know slot Zinchenko into that six role, and Rice will kind of move into left center mid, right, to keep the structure, and then Havertz will play off of, you know, Saka and Odegaard and Jesus and Martinelli. Obviously, things have not panned out that well. Um, but at center forward, I he kind of reminds me a little of Giroud, where he's the, just that offensive fulcrum where you give him the ball and he'll, he'll hold off any physicality and play other people in and is just a really good outlet, right? And has that, has that height, has that, uh, has that imposing figure that, that you can use to good advantage. So if you 
asked me in January, would I take Ivan Tony or would I hold on to Havertz as a center forward for the remainder of the season? I think I would lean with Havertz at this point in time because there are certain other strikers that I want more than I want Ivan Tony. I think Ivan Tony's really good, but I want, you know, Victor Osman more than I want Ivan Tony right now. So I think Havertz can do that job for where this team is right now. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to when we bring in that big backboard striker for him to play off of because I think that's when we're really going to see the best of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, could not agree more. And I think I think both of you, I think Rohan made the point initially. Correct me if I'm wrong. You said that you can't always go along against Man City because they probably win the ball back quickly and they will like cut you. But I think you can do it if you have the right players to attack like the long balls. And I think Arteta recognizes that. And I think that's why he bought Kai Havertz to Arsenal to give us, I think, that plan B option because you can't play out from the back 90 minutes all the time. That has to be on occasion where you also, I guess, have to like play it long. And if you don't have a player who can win that duel, then you're going to be in trouble. And Kai Havertz and even Tomias who showed that yeah, they, they can win those duels. And I can also see why Arteta wants Tony because now we have that keeper who can play that perfect long ball and we have the center forward who can win the ball. So, yeah, I think it's going to be, like, exciting to watch how uh, we evolve. But Rohan, would you sign Ivan Tony in January or would you also go with what Sham said and say no? I'd, way? Go, with, I'd go with what Sham says because I think, for me, the priorities in January, I would say, is we need a runner across the front line, someone who can stretch the play outside of the Martinelli. Um, and I do think we need an out-and-out right-back as well to compete with Ben White. Um, I, I think that that position, that role, when I'm talking about someone who can make that run on the outside, there's no one else who really does that. Timber's someone who makes more of the underlapping run uh, when he plays in that role. So I think, for me, a right-back and a wide winger, a winger would be what I would once in January. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot now because every time I ask you a question on oh, who man. you will sign in the summer, <laughs> you only gave me one answer that was Captain Bright. <laughs> now we have some live viewers and they want to know, Rohan, who is who do, who do you want for advice? The people want to know. <laughs> Honestly, if I, if I was watching a lot of football outside of the league, I'd give you names. I'd give you just, names. Just, I don't know. Just, just... I, just Look say Pedro Neto. Man. Pe- but Pedro Neto, I, d- I'm, oh, I, d- I need to watch more Pedro Neto still. What about Rafinha? Uh, I, I think the boat has sailed for someone like Rafinha, personally. I would I would rather... Know. No, I don't, I'm not... No, I need to think about it. I need to think about it. I don't know. I don't come know. on, one player. One player. Come on. <laughs> Do you know what? If it was a few years ago, I'm still intrigued by Sane. Um, of Bayern, but I don't know what the situation is like there. But I don't know. I need to. No, but that's the level of player. We, we but that's the level of player you need. I mean, I've, I mean, in the summer, Victor Osman is someone that is tailor made for us as a centre forward. Um, but that's an easy name, isn't it? So I need to. I need to think. I need to think. What about you, Sham? Do you have any names for that wide forward spot? Who's? Yeah, I mean, forward? I you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on the bandwagon here and say Pedro Neto. I think he's. I think he's had a really good start to the season. I think he has very similar qualities to Martinelli and can also play on the right, um, you know, spell Saka there. 
I don't think he would be prohibitively expensive. I feel like Wolves would probably value him at like 50, maybe 60 million, which I which I don't think is crazy for a player like that. Still fairly young, right? I think he's like 23, 24. Um yeah, no, I um I, I think he's I think I think he's a really good player to bring in at that spot. So Rohan yeah. disappeared. I think he didn't like your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Rohan, come back. Yeah. But no, I, I mean I agree with you. I think Neto would be a good option. I just think we need to go out there and get someone who has, I guess, a different profile to what we have. And I just want to ask you, I hope Rohan comes back. But if he doesn't come back, I just want to ask you, Sham, a couple of things here. Firstly, what does this win mean? And is this the start of something new? Because when I saw Saliba, Gabriel and Declan Rice, the core of Arsenal, I think they're all 25 and younger. And I think they really showed that they're the future here because they physically dominated the duels, won everything. And that tackle of Rice on Nunes towards the end of the game, wow, sensational. So how did you feel after this win and what does this win mean for you? Yeah, I, I think I think the important thing, or at least the thing I focus on in terms of what this, mean, this win means, is that we are a mature team now, right? And we really know how to control games. And if you can control games, and there's... There's multiple ways to control matches, right? We've been talking about final third entries all this time. But another way to control games is to not let your opponent have a sight of goal. And Manchester City had four shots against us, right? Think about that. The best team in the world, the team that won the treble last season, only had four shots against us. Erling Holland. The probably the best striker in the world, right? I, I think you can say Harry Kane, and that would be that would be arguable, but I think outside of those two, no one else really comes close. Erling Holland finished the match with an XG of 0.00. That's that's and that's the second time that's happened this season, by the way. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I I look at these guys, Saliba and Gabriel and Rice, and you know I think Martinelli has proven how important he is to us. And I think Gabriel Jesus m- made some bad decisions in the box, um, but in terms of his in terms of his work rate, I think he was excellent. I think he's a star for us. Uh, ben White, I think he had a phenomenal game. David Raya, excellent second half, and and Martin Odegaard as well. I think his impact was good as well. Yeah, party party. I think showed what we've been missing um, with his um, with his injury, and even Odegaard, right? Odegaard, I don't think had the best game on the ball. Took some ridiculous shots that I that I hope he refrains from in the future. But mm-hmm. off the ball, he he worked his socks off, yeah. and I, I I don't think you can undervalue that. So what I'm and saying he almost is, we got have... a, sorry to cut you off, but he almost no, got fine. sent off as well. He almost got Kovacic sent off. Should have gotten sent off. I mean, but we're we're too happy to speak about officiating today, honestly, because we won against the treble winner, so we won't get into that. But he was, I thought, yeah, he he could have played a big part in actually helping City go down to 10 men. No, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, I I think this all just goes to show that, again, we're, we're a team that's getting better. We're a team that's starting to realize our potential, and we have some actual star power there. And that's, I think that's the most important thing you need to compete with a team like City. You need 
actual cream of the crop talent to do that. And these guys are all maturing and they're understanding their roles and Arteta is helping them, you know, become the players that they're supposed to be. But, you know, on top of that, I think it shows that maybe we need to stop panicking about them. Right. Um, I think we entered this match, you know, on the back of um, a frustrating loss at Lons and uh, just kind of wondering whether our position in the in the league table and some of the performances we've seen have been a bit of a mirage, but I think today showed that we're we're right there, right? We're right there with City, and um, yeah, I feel really good. And you know, we're gonna have Saka and Gabriel Jesus and Martinelli all play together for the first time mm-hmm. uh, after the international break, hopefully. Yeah. So yeah. we'll have our attack, you know, back back yeah reassembled so i think i think the attacking performances will improve as well but i think we're just seeing the team that's starting to master both ends of the game the attacking end as Mm -hmm. well as the defensive end we are so difficult to break down i think john mckenzie um said a while back that we're the best out of uh possession team in the world and i i think he might be right based on this performance so yeah um the rest of the league needs to look out because we are we are still for real Absolutely. And I think that point you made was really good because everyone thought it might have been a mirage after the defeat against Lens. But I think what it shows you is that Arsenal, despite being nowhere near their best, have still won, like, we played eight games a season and we won six, right? So we're still unbeaten after eight games, despite being nowhere near our best. I think we finally have figured out the system to go forward with which is Rice as the eight and Jorginho at party uh, as the six. And as you mentioned, we have Martinelli back, Saka back post the international break. So things are looking good, fingers crossed. And yeah, hopefully we go on a big run now. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into things of like winning the title already. Obviously, we're here to contend for it. But just take it game by game and win each and every single game that's in front of you. I think that should be the aim. But to beat City, I think it's a huge like mental block which is gone i cannot believe it first win since december 2015 which is wow it was a long time ago and yeah to just get it out of the way i think was really important it didn't matter how we did it it could have been a deflection goal but the most important thing was to get over the line and even after we scored that goal the way we you know just calmed things down and saw the game i think was a huge positive and and yeah i think what a fantastic win and let's carry this momentum um post the international break as well yeah yeah I, th- I think that's a really good point about the the mental block right i think i think we've been scared of city these last few years and mm-hmm. another thing i noticed on sunday was that we played with no fear right yep. um, yep. i think saliba yep. and gabrielle i don't think they're scared of erling holland anymore and that's probably the scariest player on that team so yeah. there's that and then you know practically speaking that this is basically a six point swing over city right um so as long as we do not lose at at the etihad i think we're i think we're looking pretty good we just have to get our points the other place we're supposed to get them so yeah um it's lovely feeling lovely feeling feeling right now yep absolutely yeah i think rohan he's not going to join us back unfortunately because he had to go uh, urgently but this was a fantastic podcast to I think just talk about one of our most famous victories, I would say, in recent years because Man City won the treble. Arsenal didn't beat them for eight years in the league. 
Obviously, we were humiliated last season in the run-in. So to get the win was fantastic. To keep a clean sheet at home, even better. So I think this is a huge win, which will, I think, go long in the memory. Um, and it was a real pleasure to discuss this in your years. Thank you to Rohan for joining uh, Sham and I. I think it's been a real pleasure to do this podcast. We're going to have more special guests uh, in the coming weeks. So stay tuned. Uh, you can follow us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this Week in Arsenal is the name of the podcast. And you can also follow us on Twitter with the new rebranding logo. So I think you, I hope you will like our new logo and rebranding design that we've done. So check us out on Twitter, This Week in Arsenal. And yeah, we will be back in, I guess, a couple of weeks' time following a humiliation of Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, Sham. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, 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 we could come back next week too and just take some questions. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, no. but yeah. <laughs> but um, are we beating Chelsea, you think? Oh, 100%. No? Yeah. 100%. I'm not. There, someone tweeted, are you worried about Chelsea? And just the number of people who quote tweeted it and said, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I can't. So, yeah, no, I think we'll smack them. Yeah, and I need Kai Havertz to score and do the Adebayor celebration at Stamford Bridge. That'll be the most epic thing. But, yeah, I I know we said Havertz only at center forward from now on, but I wouldn't mind starting a midfield three of Jorginho, Rice, and Havertz. This just bigger Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. So that'd be a good time. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to that. But for now, guys, enjoy the international break. Enjoy the three points. Thank you once again for tuning in. And until next time, take care. See you. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you.